Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Poor Report, with your host, Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 33 of The Poor Report. I am your host, Andrew Poor, and I want to thank you for joining me here today. Now, for those of you who have been not following the show, the show's formats, usually I talk about some recent events going on in the world of government, entertainment, just kind of covering the full gambit of news in our day and age, and in the age of President Donald J. Trump, that can tend to be a lot of things. And this will be my last episode in that format, at least for a few episodes. I'm uh, going through some stuff right now that'll kind of tie me up a little bit until June. I've talked about it in previous episodes with wedding stuff and house stuff, it's going to be a little bit of a hectic schedule here, and I want to make sure I still bring you great content. So I'm going to be moving from this format to a series of profiles on important people or people that are in the news recently. I'm going to try and keep this as current as possible, even if I do record these a little bit in advance, just as my schedule allows, just so I can't get you the latest breaking news as of Monday. So with that said... I have a list of some of the people I'm going to be focusing on right away, and that involves Mark Zuckerberg after his recent recent appearance in front of Congress. It'll be on Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, and Paul Ryan, the outgoing Speaker of the House. Also, probably will touch on some few people, and if anyone jumps out as we're preparing, preparing episodes, they'll be added to the list. Not sure who's going to come next or what's going to be episode 34 yet, but once I know. But the good news is some might come up at multiple at a time. So for your Patreon subscribers, if you pay a dollar for early access, you will get to listen to those episodes early. And while you're already in the Patreon page at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics, for $3 you can have access to The Road to the Infinity War, which is rapidly approaching Infinity War, which comes out in, I believe, next week. It's already here, or two weeks from now. It's coming up quick, so definitely get your tickets in that, and if you want to get caught up on all the shows, all 18 movies preceding Infinity War that are part of the MCU and haven't had a chance to do it, for much less time involvement, you can listen to the reviews of all of those shows for probably only taking about nine hours compared to the two hours per movie, you're looking at a nice long weekend watching MC movies, which I know for some people on our network, like Nate, have already done it. Hasn't been a weekend, but they've probably, he's probably watched more of those shows in preparation for Infinity War than anyone else on the network, so good for him, and yeah. So that's what you can do for $3 a month, which is pretty easy. I mean, it's one gallon of gas, or it's a cup of coffee, or it's uh Spend more of that in a vending machine if you're hungry at lunch. Kind of one of those things. But 
This is the Poor Report. I am your host, Andrew Poor. If I haven't said it already, kind of got into a spiel early and didn't really get to introducing myself. But this is still the Poor Report, and this is my last episode doing this. But I want to talk about a few things I found were kind of interesting between last episode and now and some stuff that came out as of today. So let's kind of jump in on that. So for those of you who don't know, former President Barack Obama had a vice president, and that vice president was Joe Biden. And, as of recently, Joe Biden is the front-runner for the Democratic ticket for the 2020 election. Now, his age is a concern. He's going to be, he would be 78 years old at the time of Inauguration Day in 2021. But, that's not to say that President Donald Trump will be that far off. He's about four years younger than Joe Biden. So... We're kind of splitting hairs. I know four years you're comparing a 75-year-old to a 78-year-old. It's not really that big a deal. So we'll kind of have to see how that shakes out. But according to this article from Politico, Joe Biden, who leads the Democratic 2020 presidential field in early polls, has all the markings of a frontrunner. He possesses a sterling resume, access to a donor base, name recognition, and eight years of loyal service to a president who's loved by the party base. There's just one problem. He's a deeply flawed candidate who's out of step with the mood of his party. Biden hasn't announced he's running for president, of course, but he's made he's made clear he's seriously thinking about it. On Sunday, he confirmed it again on MSNBC's Political Nation. The decision, he said back in February, will be based on whether it's right for me to do. But that's the wrong question. What Biden should be asking, whether the party wants him and not just whether he should seize his last chance. His advanced age, Biden would be 78 years old at this time of swearing in, isn't the main obstacle. While Biden's age would be a non-starter in most presidential elections, if he continues to appear... Hale and Hardy would not be an insurmountable problem against Donald Trump, who would be 74 himself in 2020. Trump would also provide cover for another often-discussed Biden drawback, the overly familiar mannerisms that seem terribly out of place in the Me Too era. Next to Trump's access Hollywood tapes and the litany of sexual misconduct charges leveled against the president, Biden's handsiness barely registers. The bigger issue is whether there's a place for him atop the Democratic Party that's taking shape after the ruinous 2016 election cycle. This new iteration is unsentimental and unforgiving, and Biden has more than a few conspicuous Senate votes that demand a reckoning in the Trump-era Democratic Party. One of them is the bankruptcy reform bill that he championed for years until it finally passed in 2005. The political taint from the law favored by credit card companies because it made it harder for consumers to get debt relief through bankruptcy shows no signs of subsiding on the left. It resurfaced as a thorny issue during Biden's vetting as Barack Obama's running mate in 2008, and reappeared nearly a decade later to haunt Hillary Clinton during her 2016 Democratic primary. One of the law's leading critics, Senator Elizabeth Warren, has emerged as a top Democratic presidential contender herself, so has Senator Bernie Sanders, who likewise taps into the populist anti-Wall Street energy in the party's grassroots. Biden could argue that his views evolved over time, that as a senator, his legislative record reflected the need to represent the financial services companies that provide so many jobs in his home state of Delaware, but isn't likely to be convincing to progressives. Clinton tried a variant of that when she was accused of being too cozy with Wall Street. I represented Wall Street as a senator from New York, she said in one Democratic debate, but it did little to insulate her from Sanders' persistent criticism. And Biden's competition wouldn't be a lone independent socialist. The Democratic field is expected to be historically large and is likely to feature more than a few candidates with nearly pristine records on the issues that animate the party's foot soldiers. The 1994 crime bill is another ticking time bomb from Biden's past, as Obama's vice president and a key member of an administration that sought to reorientate criminal justice policy. Biden was never truly called to account for his 
leading role in passing a Clinton administration measure that many in the party believe exacerbated an era of mass incarceration that disproportionately affects racial minorities. But there's no dodging it in the next Democratic primary. Hillary Clinton was confronted on the 2016 campaign trail by Black Lives Matter activists merely for advocating the crime bill's passage as First Lady. Biden, meanwhile, has pref- proudly referred to it as the 1994 Biden Crime Bill. He still doesn't fully comprehend its radioactivity, while Biden has pointed to provisions of the bill that have troubled him. As late as 2016, he was still defending it and insisting that he was not at all ashamed of the legislation. There are other issues in Biden's portfolio that would have problematic with influential factions within the current Democratic Party, among them his, his vote to authorize for use of force in Iraq and his history on abortion rights. By the end of his Senate career, Biden was a staunch defender of reproductive rights, but there's still a collection of votes and quotes over the years that will raise questions about his reliability. Considering the discomfort surrounding Tim Kaine in the run-up to his selection as Clinton's running mate in 2016, despite a perfect record on abortion rights while in the Senate, Kaine's personal opposition to abortion and a checkered record on the issue as Virginia governor left many liberals uneasy with the prospect of him on the ticket. It's not clear that he could have made the cut where the presidential nominee someone other than Clinton, whose commitment to reproductive freedom was never in doubt. None of this denied that there is a solid case to be made for Biden's candidacy. It begins with a deep reservoir of goodwill, his retail politicking skills are undeniable, and his qualifications for the White House are unrivaled. During a moment when preparation for the job is no small matter, he is, for the most part, a mainstream liberal who even publicly supported gay marriage before Obama did. No one doubts Biden could take the fight to Trump, In fact, he's already begun calling the president a joke, telling him to grow up, and most recently musing that he would beat the hell out of Trump if they were in high school. I'd love to see that. (laughs) Biden reveals in his role as the party's special emissary to the middle class, and he remains the rare national Democrat who can connect with blue-collar constituencies that have long since left the fold. When the party needs to speak to Green Bay or Youngstown or Western Pennsylvania, Uncle Joe is the guy who gets the call. He has assigned at times the familiar, out-of-power Democratic hand-wringing about how to win back the white working class is quieted, it's no longer a universally held opinion that it's necessary or even prudent for the party to chase voters who cast a ballot for Trump. Within some party circles, working class whites are not viewed as essential to the racially diverse coalition that believe represents the party's future. And a septuagenarian white male, septuagenarian white male, Biden is a highly unlikely prospect to lead the new coalition. It's a testament to a talent that's even subject to debate. And my own personal thoughts on this, yes, Biden would do the job well. Yes, his age is of concern, but being that close to Trump's age, it's not really out of the question. I just think it's time for kind of a new slate of candidates. I don't want to see Elizabeth Warren back. I don't want to see Bernie Sanders back. I really don't want to see Joe Biden back. I mean, he didn't obviously didn't campaign in 2016, but I remember breaking news. I remember actually watching it on a random weekday morning when he announced that he wouldn't seek the 2016 nomination or wouldn't run which ultimately gave hillary a chance if i'm pretty sure if biden would have thrown his hat into the ring hillary clinton probably wouldn't have won the nomination then it would have been an interesting election between donald trump and joe biden if donald trump was even the candidate at that point that may have caused other concern or confusion so who's to say what 2016 could have been if joe biden had run earlier but it'll be interesting to see what the Democratic Party brings out. It could be the Trump effect that we saw in 2015, 2016, when we had, what is it, like eight or nine candidates for the Republican nomination, 
and all of them seem pretty much the same except Donald Trump, who is the outspoken, politically incorrect speaking person that stood out amongst the crowd. And as as they all these other candidates kind of cancel themselves out, Trump always seemed to win or at least seemed different enough to get votes. Like I don't want like people voted for Trump because he wasn't the same. He wasn't like the other eight that they've seen before. And that's part of the reason why he won. That and the whole everything else that happened with the Hillary Clinton pain, but that's beside the point. So it'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Biden decided to run that he would get the nomination. I don't know of anyone else coming up that has a chance of getting it. Either they're too... They have too interesting views. There's no one who seems to stand out the way Barack Obama stood out in early 2000s or really how fast Donald Trump caught fire before this election. So... It'll really be interesting to see how this election shakes out. But that's all of my thoughts on that. And let's move on to more Trump-related news. And that involves the constitutional question, can Congress stop Trump from firing Mueller? As President Donald Trump rants anew about the Russia investigation, a bipartisan group of senators is trying to jumpstart legislation to protect special counsel Robert Mueller from being fired. Debate around the latest proposal offers a remainder of how much power Trump as chief executive holds as the Russia investigation related to the choice election may be closing in on him. Still, it's on unchecked power. The Supreme Court has long permitted Congress to put some limits on the president's authority to dismiss executive branch officials, yet the justices have tried to find a not always consistent line in balancing a president's removal power with protections imposed by Congress. The crux of this current dilemma is how much Congress can limit Trump as he might order the firing of Mueller, who, within the terms of the Constitution, an inferior officer, that his that is an executive branch employee not subject to Senate confirmation and reporting to the superior officer. The new legislation offered Wednesday would allow judicial review of Mueller's dismissal or that any special counsel to ensure it was for good cause. Some law professors, such as University of Virginia's John Duffy, says the proposal conflicts with the principle that the Constitution vests all executive power in the president, not just some fraction of it. Duffy said the framers of the Constitution believed impeachment the sole remedy to for any presidential wrongdoing. But New York University's Richard Pilges argues that the case going back a century have permitted modest limits, including judicial review, on the executive's removal power. The question Congress is properly asking, uh, Pilge says, is how do you ensure a sufficient, impartial, credible investigation of the president and his top aides? Mueller has been investigating connections between the Trump campaign and Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Trump has many times deemed Mueller's work a witch hunt, and early Thursday said that he has been inclined to get rid of Mueller, he would have done it already. If I wanted to fire Robert Mueller in December, as reported by the failing New York Times, I would have fired him. Just more fake news from a biased newspaper, he tweeted, trying to counter a New York Times story that he wanted to fire Mueller in December after Mueller apparently sought Trump-related financial records. Trump's ire towards Mueller appeared to intensify the this week as FBI agents raided the office and hotel room of Michael Cohen, the president's personal lawyer. Acting on a Mueller referral, referral agents were seeking information related to the possible payments made to silence women about alleged, alleged affairs with Trump before he became president. The new legislation was offered by Republican Senators Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Thorne Tillis of North Carolina and Democrats Chris Kroon of Delaware and Cory Booker of New Jersey. It would cement into law a Justice Department regulation dictating that a special counsel can be removed by the Attorney General 
only for misconduct, dereliction of duty, incapacity, conflict of interest, or other good cause. The bill provided a 10-day window for Mueller to earn a special counsel obtain judicial review to determine whether the firing was justified. If not, he would keep the job. While a challenge is pending, the legislation dictates the special counsel staff, documents, and other materials would be preserved. This is kind of weird. I don't feel like I've read this article or I've talked about this article before. It just seems very familiar. And it may have been part of a story I talked about in a few episodes back. So if you're hearing this for the second time, just because it's that pertinent in this day. Um, right now, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who appointed Mueller, has authority over him. Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself from the investigation related to the 2016 campaign. If Trump were to sack Rosenstein, the deputy successor would take control over the special counsel and scope of his investigation. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles Grassley has declared that it would be suicide for Trump to order Mueller to be fired, but has also questioned the need for and constitutionally of measures to protect Mueller. Grassley said on Thursday that he would offer an amendment to the pending bill to require the Attorney General to provide a detailed report to Congress justifying significant decisions involving the special counsel, including the firing of the special counsel. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Panel, says such a broad requirement on the Attorney General could undermine the investigation the law is meant to protect. It's vital that special counsel merely be allowed to continue his investigation without interference, Feinstein said in a statement late Wednesday, and passing a bipartisan bill to ensure he can't be fired without cause is essential. The overall goal of the new legislation is guaranteeing, through the involvement of a three-judge panel, that any effort to get rid of the special counsel is justified. It does not change the good cause standards for removal already in regulations. One past Supreme Court case that the bill backers used for support is Morrison v. Olson, a 1988 case where the justices upheld the constitutionality of a freestanding but now defunct independent counsel law. The court ruled that Congress did not infringe on executive power when it authorized a judicial panel to appoint independent prosecutors to investigate possible executive branch wrongdoing and when it dictated rules for the prosecutor's removal. Justice Antonin Scalia was the lone dissenter, arguing that the legislation violated the separation of powers and allowed Congress to usurp executive power. In one of the most repeated lines of the case, Scalia wrote, Frequently an issue of this sort will come before the court clad, so to speak, in sheep's closing. But the wolf comes as a wolf. Over the past three decades, some legal scholars and justices have cast doubts on the rationale of Morrison v. Olson, which unlike in the current situation, dealt with separate federal ethics laws, but the ruling has been never been reversed. Congress did not renew the Freestanding Independent Counsel law when it expired in 1999. As senators announced their new legislation on Wednesday, Tillis pointed to broader safeguards beyond Mueller. The compromised bipartisan bill helps ensure that special counsels, present or future, have the independence they need to conduct fair and impartial investigations. The legislation makes it through the Congress and earns Trump's signature, a big political if it could face a skeptical Supreme Court. Yale Law Professor Akhil Amar, who was warned against trying to legislate protection from Mueller, told CNN on Thursday that it is difficult to reconcile the inferior constitutional status of the special counsel with the independence envisioned in legislation that would allow him to challenge the executive powers to dismiss him. A truly interior office, inferior officer, Amar told the Senate Judiciary Committee last year referring to the special counsel's constitutional status, must have a superior officer within his own branch to whom he answers and who can remove him if the superior loses confidence in him. Proposals that would permit a special counsel to, to challenge removal in court, Amar argued, would strip power from all Oval Office occupants and not just the one down the street today. So that's kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I know if Trump fired Mueller or... 
fired Rosenstein to put his own person above Mueller to either fire him or really limit his scope. Especially considering that over the weekend, Mueller and the probe got involved with Michael Cohen, and I'm going to talk more about that when I do my Michael Cohen profile in a couple weeks. So there'll be more news about that and stuff that came out today that I really haven't had a chance to review. I think the big thing was that Sean Hannity may be one of his clients. It could be rumors. I saw it on Twitter. I haven't had a chance to really dig into it yet. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about really involves the more Trump-related news, and that involves uh, James Comey, the former FBI director, in a recent interview regarding his book that he released. Uh, Comey says Trump is morally unfit to be president and possibly susceptible to Russian blackmail. Former FBI director James B. Comey said in his first televised interview since being fired that he believed Donald Trump was morally unfit to be president and that it was possible that the Russians had material that could be used to blackmail him. In a wide-ranging conversation with George Stephanopoulos broadcast on ABC late Sunday, Comey took aim at Trump in no uncertain terms, comparing his administration to a mafia family, likening his presidency to a forest fire and asserting there was evidence that he had committed a crime. He said he would not favor impeaching Trump to remove him from office because that would let the American people off the hook and have something happen indirectly that I believe they're duty-bound to do directly. Meaning through elections, but he made clear his view on whether Trump was fit to hold the position. The president does not reflect the values of this country, Comey said. The interview airs just days before Comey is set to release a new book and embark on a media tour to promote it. Much of what Comey said to Stephanopoulos mirrors what he wrote. Although his televised extemporaneous comments are sure to attract the attention of the president, who is an avid TV viewer, on Sunday morning, Trump tweets criticism of Comey denying some of Comey's allegation, alleging that Comey reveals classified information and lied to Congress. Slippery James Comey, a man who always ends up badly and out of whack, he is not smart, will go down as the worst FBI director in history by far. Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel wrote on Twitter after the interview aired that Comey had, has no credibility and that Trump was right to fire him. Comey's PR tour reaffirms that his true higher loyalty is to himself, she wrote. The only thing worse than his history of misconduct is his willingness to say anything to sell books. The Washington Post was allowed to review a complete transcript of the Comey interview, which lasted nearly five hours. As did in his book, Comey detailed in the interview Trump's fixation on unproven allegations that he watched prostitutes urinate on one another in a Moscow hotel in 2013, asserting that Trump at one point said he was contemplating ordering Comey to investigate and disprove the incident because he did not want even a 1% chance that his wife, First Lady Melania, would believe it happened. Comey said that he struck him as odd. I remember thinking, how could your wife think a 1% chance you were with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow, he said. And that his assessment was, it's possible Trump is guilty of the accusation. Honestly, never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I don't know whether the current President of the United States with, was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013, Comey said. It's possible, but I don't know. Comey said it was possible, too, that the Russians might have material that could be used to blackmail Trump. Do you think the Russians have something on Donald Trump? Stephanopoulos asked. I think it's possible. I don't know. There are more words I never thought I'd utter about a president of the United States, but it's possible. Comey described in great detail several conversations he had with Trump, telling Stephanopoulos about how the president asked for his loyalty and how that interaction and others reminded him of his time as a prosecutor in New York, pursuing mob families for whom loyalty to the boss and the organization were the only values that mattered. It's the family, the family, the family, the family, Comey said. 
Trump has denied asking for Comey's loyalty. Comey offered a blunt assessment of a conversation with Trump on February 14th, 2017, during which Comey maintains the president said of an investigation the FBI was conducting into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Flynn, I hope you can let it go, Trump disputes Comey's account. With that direction, was President Trump obstructing justice, Stephanopoulos asked. Possibly, Comey responded. I mean, it's certainly some evidence of obstruction of justice, that something really important just happened and and that I was a little another one of these out-of-body experiences. Like, really, the president just kicked out the attorney general to ask me to drop a criminal investigation while the world continues to go crazy. Cole even took name at Trump's personal appearance, remarking how his tie was too long, and it always is, and that his face looked slightly orange up close with small white half-moons under his eyes, which I assume are from tanning goggles. The former FBI boss acknowledged... He had grave misgivings about the Trump presidency even before it began. In a meeting with President Barack Obama in the last days of administration, Comey says he told the president, I dread the next four years, but in many ways I feel great pressure to stay to try and protect the institution I lead. With, while Trump bore the brunt of the criticism, Comey took, also took aim at others, including Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, whom Trump has been contemplating removing from his post. Comey said Rosenstein had acted dishonorably in writing a memo lambasting Comey's handling of the investigation at Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State. Trump cited the memo in firing Comey, and Comey said that he came to believe Rosenstein was part of the family now. I can't trust him. He later said that he th- that though he did not believe Rosenstein would fire special counsel Robert S. Mueller III if tr- ordered by Trump to do so, and that Rosenstein has an opportunity in overseeing Bob Mueller to restore some of his professional reputation. As he has in the past, Comey offered a vigorous defense of his handling of the Clinton email investigation. Parts of the interview are likely to revive the fury of Clinton supporters who think he cost her the presidency by reopening the email investigation less than two weeks before the election. When Savalas asked him if his decision was influenced by her assumptions that Hillary Clinton was going to win, Comey replied, It must have been. I don't remember constantly thinking about that, but it must have been, because I was operating in a world where Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump. He also said that he was sorry for how he handled the first announcement in July 2016, that he was closing the Clinton email probe without seeking any charges. He says he agrees now with the criticism and that his remarks muddled important issues. I'm sorry that I caused all kinds of confusion and pain with the way I described her conduct that led people into all kinds of side roads, Comey said. He's also at length about his complicated relationship with former Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Previously, Comey's defenders have argued that a Russian intelligence document the FBI received in early 2016 so that suggesting Lynch would protect Clinton in some fashion from the email probe meant that he had to cut her out of the financial decision-making process. Final decision-making process, sorry. But the Washington Post has reported that many FBI officials viewed the allegations against Lynch as dubious at best, and possibly one of Russia's very first disinformation efforts during the 2016 campaign. Comey said he didn't believe the allegation, but feared that if it ever came out, it would destroy the credibility of the Justice Department and the FBI. There was a material that I knew someday when it's declassified, and I thought that would be decades in the future would cause historians to wonder, hmm, was there some strange business going on here? Was Loretta Lynch somehow carrying water for the campaign and controlling what the FBI did? So probably for that reason, he said, he decided to announce that his own recommendation that no charges be filed in the Clinton case. Throughout the interview, Comey stressed the importance of telling the truth, a theme in his book, he described being initially reluctant to prosecute Martha Stewart for lying to investigators, but then recalled a case where he was a federal prosecutor in Richmond and had charged a minister with the same thing. And there once was a day when people were afraid of going to hell if they took an oath in the name of God and violated it. We've drifted away from that day, and so in its place has to be a fear that if you lie and the government can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, they will prosecute you in order to send a message to all others who might be called upon to give evidence, Comey said. We must prosecute people who lie in the middle of an investigation.
The comments come a day after the Justice Department Inspector General released a report accusing Andrew McCabe, Comey's former deputy, of lying repeatedly as they investigated a media disclosure he had authorized. The Inspector General says McCabe even lied to Comey, although McCabe disputes Comey's account. After he was fired, Comey said Trump issued an order that he was be not allowed back in the FBI building even to retrieve his belongings. His firings came as Comey was visiting the FBI office in Los Angeles, and for a brief moment, he wasn't even clear if he'd be allowed to ride on the government plane back to Washington. When he got on the plane, he said, I drank red wine from paper cup and just looked out at the lights of the country I love so much as we flew home. And that's really the news for today, other than one other thing that I really want to touch on really quick, and that involves former First Lady Barbara Bush. Uh, it's been reported that she is in failing health and won't seek further treatment. The source said that she is being cared for at her home in Houston and decided that she does not want to go back to, into the hospital. She has been oxygen for some time. Her husband, former President George H.W. Bush, is with her as her daughters Doro and sons Marvin and Neil. Her other sons, former President George W. Bush and former Governor Jeb Bush, have been in and out visiting her the past week. Bush's officially statement confirming after a recent series of hospitalizations, he decided against seeking additional medical help and will instead focus on comfort care. It will not surprise those who know her that Barbara Bush has been a rock in the face of her failing health, working not for herself, thanks for her abiding faith, but for others. She is surrounded by a family she adores and appreciates the many kind messages, especially the prayers she is receiving. At 92 years old, Bush has been suffering from some time, has been in and out of the hospital multiple times in the last year while battling with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, and congestive heart failure. Most recently, she was admitted to Houston Methodist Hospital on Good Friday, suffering from shortness of breath. She was doing better and has been released earlier this past week, but started to get worse in the past couple of days. People are generally aware that Bush Sr. suffers from a form of Parkinson's disease that has him in a wheelchair. However, most were not aware of the former First Lady's health problems, which started about two years ago. The Bush has been married for 73 years. The former president wrote in his book, All the Best, George Bush. We are two people, but we are one. Bush is the only living wife of one former president and the mother of another former president. She has dedicated her life post-White House to the life of literacy, or to the cause of literacy, and she and her husband have raised more than a billion dollars for charities since they left office. So I wish her the best. Politics aside, um, it's always tough getting old, and she's lived a long life, and all we can do is wish her the best. And, uh, a happy ending to a very eventful and interesting life. And with that, that really winds down the episode for today. I want to thank you all for listening. It's a nice short episode. And like I said, uh, the next few weeks, as my schedule allows, will be profiles on some interesting uh, people and what's going on. So I encourage you all to stick around for that. And I will announce... Uh, when it's time, what the next, when I return to a regular format or to a new format altogether. It's really too soon to tell, but thanks again for joining me here today. Keep reading the news, keep checking it out, keep filling your brains with shit as Nate on Journey to Comics would say, but really just keep learning. Keep, don't just accept what others say is fact. Figure it out for yourself and just keep moving forward. And that's the poor report for this week. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week.